Hello and welcome to Poetry in Aldborough's podcast series. Our weekend festival of readings, workshops, open mics and more takes place during November each year and this recording was made during our 2020 festival via Zoom. We hope you enjoy it. So I'm delighted to hand over to our event host for um, this reading, the poetry trustee Patricia Debney, one of our six trustees. Patricia Debney's first collection of prose poems, How to Be a Dragonfly, uh, won the 2004 Poetry Book and Pamphlet Competition. Her most recent publication is Baby from Licorice Fish Books 2016, a collection revolving around parental dysfunction and fragmentation. Other publications include Gestation from Shearsman in 2014, and a collection of prose poems written in a beach hut, Literal, from Shearsman Books 2013, which grapples with her young son's diagnosis of type 1 diabetes. Her forthcoming book, About Time, is a memoir about sexual abuse and its survival. She has also published a novel with Blue Chrome in 2007 and written libretti for opera, chamber groups and solo voices. Patricia is a former Canterbury Laureate. She currently teaches creative writing for Cambridge University at Maddingley Hall. Over to you, Patricia. Paul, thank you so much. Um, It is fantastic to be here and actually it's sunny in Cambridge. So completely delighted. It was pouring down yesterday, so we're doing okay. Um, So looking forward to this reading today. just thinking things through and looking at what we have in front of us and who is here is quite remarkable. So welcome everybody, either for the first time or once again from wherever you're calling from. Um, We're here, as Paul said, to listen to readings revolving around place and memory. Published in 2021 by Dunlan Press. This is a work of creative nonfiction and Flood comprises historical analysis, poetry and photography to explore the shared cultural memory and landscape between Essex and the Netherlands, all in relation to the North Sea flood of 1953. Sounds fascinating. Please welcome Lucia Dove. Hi, thank you very much, Patricia, for the introduction and also to Paul and Robin uh, for all your work in organizing this wonderful festival. I'm going to start with a few poems from the pamphlet that I published last year with um, Broken Sleep Books. It's actually one year today that this pamphlet came out, which is a nice coincidence. And uh, that's Say Cucumber. Um, The poems in this pamphlet, they move between South South End on Sea, where I was raised, and also memories of Russia, where my mother is from and where I spent um, a lot of time when I was younger, growing up. Dacha. It is easy to tell lies to yourself. Little ones like white maggots, like believing that I like swimming in still lakes, like coating memories in flower. As if every lake in every place is the same one my aunt and I would swim in. Every morning, the water still cold and unmoved. No lake is the same as that. Not even that lake is the same as that. I doubt it would recognize me now, squirming with the weeds, frightened of the dragonflies. 
Um, so I mentioned that these moved between South End and Russia, um, but the majority of them were actually written in Netherlands, which is where I'm based now, um, currently reading to you from a wet and grey Utrecht. Um, I've had to travel a lot between England and the Netherlands, and um, a lot of that involved in being in airports, and this is this was written in, in an airport. It's called Pop-Up Gift Shop. I don't like the idea of a pop-up gift shop, as if giving a gift is a temporary undertaking. When the shop pops back down, will the gift disappear? Will you reach for the jam jar in the cupboard at a quarter to midnight, only to find nothing there? I don't like the idea of a pop-up gift shop, as if giving a gift is a temporary undertaking. When the person you love looks to you with joy and says, thank you for giving me this gift, a reminder of the place where you have once been, when you thought how this gift might suit my habits for the place that we are both now in, only to reply, no, that place is no longer there and I don't know where it's gone. Russian caravan. If you feed diesel to a petrol samovar, you will hear that aromatic splutter turn all the tall birch trees black. This pungent earth, Krasivaya, with soil so rich, you can make black tea with it. If you do not take care when taking a sip, you will smoke your tongue, staring out of the old window the moving tips of lemon onion domes and your kiss will be hot like fresh pancakes with jam. If you leave it to ferment in the forest with the fertile peat deeply underground, I can guarantee it will run better. The taste will be of freshly picked mushrooms eaten from a wooden loshka by the lake. If you need to dry leaves on open pine fires for ease of digestion and fuel, Please first protect your, protect your hands with smetana and tie around your fingers some dill. You know I couldn't bear to see them burn. And I'll um, read the last poem of the pamphlet that moves back to Chalkwell Beach in Southend. Tutria Island from the foreshore board at Chalkwell Beach. The Thames supports the fifth largest total of wintering waterfowl of any estuary in the United Kingdom. Lugworms, rags of worms and mollusk-like cockles and razors, those moon-faced shrimp-like shells and curlew and dunlin and bar-tailed godwit. There are slippery sea martians, sea sponges and sea squirts, sea anemones and cucumbers that squirt at sea and a, different, and a, and a dozen different kinds of crab that congregate in sheltered zones around the supports of Southend Pier or under pebbles and amongst the mussel beds. Beds of eelgrass are on the mudflats of Two Tree Island. This rare underwater flowering plant is the favourite food of the dark-bellied Brent geese that winter in the Essex estuary before returning to the tundra of Arctic Russia. Um, so Patricia mentioned that the next book, well, yeah, a book that's coming out um, 
at the beginning of 2021 will be published by Dunlin Press, who are based in Wivenhoe. Um, this book is going to be non-fiction uh, and it has some poetry in it. And I'm going to read you uh, three poems from, from that book. And the book kind of crosses between the Netherlands and Essex in relation to the East Coast floods of 1953. Um, and I'm very interested in the, the shared memory between Essex and the Netherlands in relation to one particular disaster. This poem is called Swept. The mystery was not that it had been snowing, but that the snow was of the same composition and of the same temperature as the water. Looking out from a window to see sweeping water is not the same as seeing a fresh covering of snow. All farmhouses are lonely. In the basement, they found a family waiting for the end in a farmhouse in Drenth, just as on Falness, waiting for the news of someone's death. And uh, this will be my last poem. It's called Trumpet Scales. I imagined the land for years prior to, my, to the placement of my boots sinking inside it, as if my community had already met to plan for my arrival, drinking hot soup around the door of a caravan and arranging topographical clues, like simple language spoke, spoken into my fastened ears that has settled inwards. Come to think, I'm changing my habits in recognition of new familiarity arriving at a meeting place on time and soaked from weather. The way in which the North Sea has reshaped land and the way in which the Dutch have reclaimed land and the way in which the sea will take land back is community. The reconciled have it in them to experiment. Land commands this prescription. Land is haphazard, unstable and fertile. Land is flat. It is principled and it is desolate, despite its dependence on ecology. Land is low, strown, bursting. Land is flooded. Consumed, I am sinking into the mud. I am pulled out by a mysterious walker wearing wool trousers and big brown boots who mumbles about a battle from the early Middle Ages, here, where I am sinking, when everything disappears. I smell my fingers, which have changed consistency. Consider the herring. I sat along the banks of the proper centre, my legs hanging above the water, when I cried stingingly. Of all of loss to come, we must not forget the loss of the herring. Herring are humble fish of intricate design that have formed land, countries and entire civilizations. Low Z. I had the impression we were driving over the moon on a foggy February night, the endless dark drive, memory submerged in fish stock and brittle frozen prawns, their little arms snapping under the weights of hot water, pinking, heavy sky, leaning, dancers move nowhere against the rising wind, the start of the long night and the new tide was already tired, the motion of the old tide had forced an impression. Dead tired, shoulders slope into ceramic bathtubs, barely covered, hardly rich, 
lukewarm and limescaly, comb out worm paths in dear children's hair, riddled with mud. Dear children, this is not what they will teach you in your geography lesson, how to prepare for bed. Lesson one, how to detect changes in the wind. Observe familiar movements, go to your local cinema, tell mum and dad how the film was after. Depressions, observe suspension of familial ebb and flows. Domestic reliance, observe primitive parental and family animal behavior. Realignment, observe personal response to the unfamiliar. Which songs do you sing, if any? Low K. Keith was baptized by the jetty. It was announced in the school at morning assembly. The palms of child hands purpled cold and patterned with grit. Maybe it was some sort of offering, appeasement of tumultuous weather, an excuse to bring families together, to exchange things, emotional practices, cheap hot dinners in front of TV sets, chit chat, prefabs, and have you seen the cat? Have you seen what's happened here? Keith was supposed to run the relay before the field. Well, you know, you've seen it. Hi, A. No one could say where the land ended and the sea began. Hundreds of chests of drawers hung wide open, split silos, saltwater marshes foaming at the mouth of brackish waste, doorknobs, sodden wallpaper, cattle, ruined card games, bedsheets spoiled, busted bikes, bloated, floating worms. I knew the land for years prior to my bones inside it. Decay matters more than life. It is true that in the winter, everything has sunk, and in the summer, everything is sinking. I talk to bird watchers while I roll jelly green sea glass between my fingers until it is round and frosted enough for my earring collection. And that's me, everyone. So thank you again. And I look forward to uh, hearing from the rest of the poets today. Oh, Lucia, thank you so much. What a great start to the day. Really, really evocative sense of place through movement <coughs> and through places. Um, really struck by the shared histories, which is someplace I think we might be going quite a few times here. Okay. Next, we have Alan Buckley. Alan is a poet, editor, and poetry tutor. He was brought up on Merseyside and now lives in Oxford. He's had two pamphlets published, Shiver in 2009 and The Long Haul in 2016. And his first full collection, Touched, has recently been published by Happenstance. His work has been highly commended in the Forward and Bridport Prizes. He was previously on the editorial board of Ignition Press, is based at the Oxford Brookes University Poetry Centre and for many years was a school writer in residence for First Story. He is a psychotherapist and specialises in trauma work with refugees. Please join me in welcoming Alan Buckley. Thank you Patricia. The Bell. Should you go back for real to that cherished place? That refuge conjured from the borderlands of memory and fantasy, where faces turn to welcome you, the barmaid's hand already at the pump. The jukebox 
with its litany of hits you know by heart. The back door that no one ever locks, though the world's kept firmly at bay, your hurts anaesthetized. Let's hope it's being knocked down and a shopping mile's there instead. Better that than the landlord's quizzical frown. No, he doesn't remember you. Whatever you now call home is miles away. They've rung last orders. The night's no longer young. So one of the main concerns of, of this book, Touched, is trauma and the way that trauma collapses place and time so that for those people who, who experience it, there and then is always here and now. And I, I guess I'm particularly concerned with the traumatic impact of war and how that impact then plays out across generations. I'm now going to read two poems around this particular theme of war and trauma, uh, one from each side of my uh, family. So in the first one, we meet my grandfather, my father's father, who served on the Western Front and then in 1918 was sent to North Russia as part of a very ill-fated uh, expedition by the Allies to try and defeat the Bolsheviks uh, and reopen the Eastern Front. This is called How They Got Back to Mamansk. After his son's wedding, the shell of my granddad's body drives his wife back home, north to the greying air and dark red terraces, past the tall chimneyed mill he once ran. The core of him is 2,000 miles and decades away, an English soldier sent to support the white army fighting the Reds. He's on the ship bound for Mamansk. The waves so high, the captain calls for the priest, instructs him to give every man the last rites, Catholic, Protestant, Jew. Below decks, Father O'Halloran braces himself between the handrails flanking a flight of steps. He offers them all viaticum, food for the journey, the body and blood of Christ. It may not do you much good, boys, but it surely won't do you any harm. He's marching through an alien land, the winter so bitter it snaps rifle barrels in two. The peasants, their flag tied to the Bolshevik cause, refusing to share their thin soup, black bread. Politicians call this the North Russia intervention. Soldiers call it a fool's errand. He's on the slow retreat to the sea, not bullets killing his comrades, but hunger, cold and hunger. Shovels clang on frozen earth, more graves to dig. Someone, he can't remember who, looks at a corpse and speaks the unspeakable thought. Everything else he recalls clearly, the way time seems to be stopped until an officer nods his grim assent. The face of the private they fetch, a butcher by trade back home. 
the smell of it being cooked, the taste. And for this next poem, we move to the Second World War, and this poem is set in Knoll West, in a secondary school in Knoll West, which is a suburb of Bristol. Uh, and it's 1946, so the year after the Second World War ended. Breath. Pay attention. You must pay attention in class. Miss Davis snaps at the girl, just 13, staring out through the window. Though the girl's gaze has already crossed the playground, the perimeter wall, the valley beyond, and climbed the hill to the houses on Bishopsworth Road. To one house, where a woman with crippled lungs is lying in bed. The girl knows. When she's sent to see the headmistress and explain, she won't be believed, she'll be told she's being silly, that her mother's going to be fine. But the girl knows better as she stares at the house with its long garden path, along which, five years before, she's running. The heavy drone is getting louder. Across the city, sirens are keening. The sky in front of her above Dundry Hill is filling with planes. And she runs past the neat rows of carrots, potatoes, the wigwams of beans, then tumbles down the steps into the shelter. She sits with her brother, and waits. At last, her parents. She hears the gurgle and rasp of her mother's breath, drone, sirens, thunder thumps beginning in the middle distance. The girl in the classroom knows it won't be long. She imagines the tins on the dresser at home lined up strict as soldiers, gas, electric, prudential, along to butcher and milk. Soon it'll be her who takes her father's hands, thick with money, her who spreads the notes and coins on the table and portions them out. She thinks of the woman who smiles from the side of the tins, her chocolate skin wrapped in white cotton, her hand resting lightly on a tea bush as if she were trying to soothe it. Back in the classroom, the girl knows all about waiting. She knows you can hold your breath for the whole of your life. Her body is still. You can't even see the rise and fall of her chest. So two poems to end. Um, and my next poem, I come to Oxford, which has been my, my home for over three decades now, and in particular, the Cowley Road, the wonderful Cowley Road, uh, which I've lived on for most of that time. There's also a reference in this poem to another Oxfordshire place, which is now gone, and that was the United States Air Force Base at Upper Hayford. Uh, and in 1990, on the eve of the first Gulf War, my friend Stephen Hancock broke into that base and disabled an F-111 fighter jet uh, and was sent to prison. And thereafter, in dance and clubbing circles in Oxford, was known as uh, DJ Aeroplane Man. And this poem was written in July 2005. Cowley Road, 3.30 p.m. 
Rumours of further bombs start filtering through, like the first skin splashes before a storm breaks. The screen reloads, London paralysed by fear. I notice my chest beginning to tighten. I leave the office. In front of the clearance shop opposite Tesco, the three of us meet by chance. Me, the dancer, the aeroplane man, who once disabled an F-111 with a hammer. There's just so much to discuss. The best place to get your bicycle repaired. Dress code at forthcoming weddings. The amount of drugs consumed at a recent festival. Smiles are easy doves fluttering round our heads, and we could stand here all day if we wanted. The air is heavy, thick with fumes, but I breathe in deeply and try to feel my feet on the ground. We part. I cycle down Cowley Road, mindful of the oncoming buses as they swing out to avoid the parked cars. It's a glorious July afternoon. Anything might happen. So thank you to everyone listening and thank you to um, everyone at Poetry in Alborough for um, carrying on this incredible festival in the middle of a pandemic. Thank you all. Um, and this last poem is, uh, although it's an elegy, I think it also speaks to the transformative power of place. Um, it's set in Dorset, and those of you familiar with Thomas Hardy's work one may catch some of the echoes of his poem, uh, The Voice. Voicemail for Kate. Although your mobile must be lying still and unblinking on a bedside table, or stuffed in a bag with a pointless diary, tonight, I ring it one last time and hear your voice, clear, unwavering, as you ask me to please leave a message after the tone. And then I try to pretend you're busy writing songs on your scuffed acoustic or down in the lush, quiet county where you were born. Hands on the steering wheels, leopard print cover, casually speeding south through a warren of hedge-bound lanes, stone bridges, up over Egerton Hill to the place you'd go to stare at the waves, breathe the incoming air. Thank you. Gosh, thank you so much, Alan. I'm seeing some things coming through the chat like spellbinding and precise and powerful. And I was really struck by the sort of transformative power of place. We're hearing about so many ways that place can change us and be, be changed by us, I suppose, as well. Alan, that was great. Okay. Number three, Jennifer Edgecombe. Jennifer was born in Wolverhampton, grew up in Cornwall, and now lives on the Kent coast. Her debut poetry pamphlet, The Grief of the Sea, published in June 2020 from Broken Sleep Books, features poems from her current research into the history of the Royal National Lifeboat Institution, RNLI, and Cornish and coastal histories. 
Her poems and reviews have appeared in Ambit, Caught by the River, Lighthouse, Pea and Review, and Wild Court. She was longlisted for the Plough Poetry Prize in 2016. More places and coasts and travels. It sounds wonderful. Please welcome Jennifer Edgecombe. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me to read here today. I'm going to be reading a few poems from my pamphlet, The Grief of the Sea, which is published by Broken Sleep. A lot of my work is concerned with a relationship between loss and the coast. In particular, my own loss of home due to having grown up in Cornwall, but now having lived away for the last 10 years. The first poem I'm going to read was written after viewing a painting at the Penley House Gallery and Museum whilst during a holiday back home. It rained very heavily for the whole week and this shocked me because I'd forgotten just how wet Cornwall is and I felt like I'd lost my connection with a landscape that I used to know wholly. This poem is about water in various forms and how it can reconnect someone to a place. It's called Brian Winter's Landscape Zena. The dark is the sea that has soaked through, dripping into buckets already full, nighttime in the day. The granite blackened, the fields dimmed, the moon in each headlight. With each stroke of the paddle, you try to keep time with the sea, the blue pulling you deeper into the undertow. In the gallery, my small body of water rests in front of your canoe, your final form unmoored. I've recently written a, a piece about this poem for the website Juxta Press, which you can view online if you are interested. The second poem I'm going to read was also written during a holiday in Cornwall. Each time I visit, I spend time researching the history of Cornwall in various museums or libraries, such as Crescent Curnow or the St Ives Museum. And it was in the St Ives Museum that I learned about a shipwreck that happened just on the beach where I was staying. I'd already become obsessed with watching the tide creep around this particular headland, and now I had even more reason to watch. This is called the Headland of Carbis Bay. The Headland of Carbis Bay is a corner of sedimentary rock, never quite exposed enough to be walked around. The sea rushes forwards to remove footprints, forcing walkers up the emergency rope path. From this height, I have an overwhelming view of home, refurbished with the orange of this sunset, the day sliding down on my bedroom wall. I sit with binoculars at low tide, searching for traces of Bessie, Sintra, Vulture, Hampshire, four wrecks laid down in one night, November 1893. I see small black dots that could be anything. Now, in my pamphlet, I also write about my brother. He died in a car accident in Cornwall when I was 17. His job at the time was to be a stunt act in a touring show, the posters of which would be plastered around the town every time they visited. And they still are. I see them every year. This poem is called Stunt Show Season. At this time of year, posters advertising the travelling show 
appear in shop windows. Hearn Bay, Eastbourne. I remember attending in Hale. I have a photo of my brother leaning over the crowd barriers, signing his stage name for a fan, Fandango, but leaves more earlier than we expect. And as the posters disappear, it's hard to believe we had a summer. Uh, I'm obsessed with the RLI, as mentioned, and you can see my seven-class lifeboat here. The RLI is the charity that saves lives, made up of mostly volunteers, people that would drop everything at a moment's notice, run to the lifeboat station and hop on a boat, often going out in gale force winds and high seas to save someone that is in danger of losing their life at sea. The beach that I grew up near Cornwall only had lifeguards on, and I can't remember any thoughts on lifeboats as I grew up. But I think that's because they were simply an established part of the surroundings, as were seagulls, fishing boats and mines. I live very near a lifeboat station now, and I've been researching the history of the RNLI for the past three years. I wanted to write about Penley Lifeboat after watching the BBC documentary Cruel Sea. And this poem is a found poem using their words alone and the people that uh, experienced it. And I think it's very important that something like this remains true to those who experience the disaster firsthand. This poem's called The Penley Lifeboat Disaster. Well, they're mostly fishermen. They come from the same village as what I do. This is just a part-time job. I'm pretty lucky here. The sons of Malzal, top-notch. Darts had just started. Everyone is drinking, laughing, joking a strange note in the wind. I asked him when he'll be round the corner. We call Anzen the corner. He said about just after tea. He said it was rolling a bit, a marker on the radar, slowly drifting in towards land. When the maroons were heard, stopped what they were doing, rushed to the station, only eight hands were needed. All dressed, the best he had, just sort of waited waited and waited and waited to catch the right moment to knock her off the slope she went down and was gone some 30 foot in height like being in a washing machine bouncing significantly the ocean was very confused a mother two children eight miles east of wolf rock together for christmas engines have stopped about 50 foot seas with water in a fuel tank he was drifting faster than he thought it was getting very difficult, less than a mile from shore, 60, maybe 70 foot waves. How very clean and new the green painted deck looked. Extraordinary, screaming, bright pink court shoes. The Union Star was on her maiden voyage. The Union Star was the latest one. With the Union Star so close to shore, the Union Star was heading straight toward. I could see the helicopter. I could see the Union Star. Water getting into the engine of the Union Star. Solomon Brown went up onto the Union Star, but after sliding off the deck of the Union Star, she was effectively out of the water. Two boxing bags, trying to steady themselves, throwing lives over, shadows of people running. It appeared they were just jumping and the lifeboat crew were out with their arms out. He always seemed to be a free spirit, 
like a breath of air. She went out and she's still out. The next poem I'm going to read is Zena Churchyard and it was written after a visit there. We were walking in the graveyard, reading about all the names and histories. And it was only when we went inside the church that I realized that there were lots of unmarked graves, sailors who had washed up drowned, miles from home and unidentified. This is called Zena Churchyard. Zena Churchyard archives the lost. Paul, Nance, craftsman, scholar, a laminated photograph, wildflowers. Inside a model schooner, remembers the lost at sea, Proctor in the Pacific, and those we'd walked across under the grass. Uh, strangely, I have two ekphrastic poems in this pamphlet, uh, and this one is based on my granddad's painting of Kudribi, which is the beach that I spent most time growing up on. It also refers to the Arnali lifeguards that I mentioned earlier. Kudribi Lighthouse. I tried to line up his painting with the contours of the cliff, but a face changes over time. Rocks sliding down into the middle of the beach, receding marum grass, the edge unstable. At least the lifeguard hut, no longer in use but standing. His route is now a memory, the only other thing of his I own. Newly marked, a desire line leading to the light. And I'm going to finish with a poem written about an ex-miner called Grant, who took us on a tour of Giva Mine. This is called Grant. Our tour guide, an ex-miner, his photo from 30 years ago on a commemorative wall. I always wanted to come back. The end, 16, second, 90, painted on a locker. Tea urn still plugged in. At 70 foot down, he stopped us, talked about depth, then pulled a piece of ore from his pocket. Extracted from the load a mile out to sea, containing 80% tin. This is worth more than gold and I will never let it go. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Jennifer. That was smashing. Um, I, I'm a little bit obsessed with found poems and sort of found language in poems. So I found that pretty wonderful. Um, I noticed in the chat also a couple of times the link to Broken Sleep Books has come up. So if um, we have a couple of poets here who are publishing with Broken Sleep Books, so do um, check that out, folks. Um, okay, lovely stuff. Thank you, Jennifer. All right. So our uh, final, our fourth poet today um, is Heidi Williamson. Heidi is an advisory fellow for the Royal Literary Fund. She is a poetry surgeon for the Poetry Society and teaches for the Poetry School, National Center for Writing and the Writing Coach. She mentors poets by Skype worldwide. Her first collection, Electric Shadow, 
which was from Blood Axe in 2011, was a poetry book society recommendation and was shortlisted for the Seamus Heaney Center Prize. The Print Museum won the 2016 East Anglian Book Award for Poetry. Her third collection, Return by Minor Road, published by Blood Axe this year, revisits her time living in Dunblane at the time of the primary school shooting and its aftermath. Really pleased to have Heidi with us today. Could we welcome Heidi Williamson? Thank you so much, Patricia. It's really, really wonderful to be here reading at Alderborough. I've been coming for years and enjoyed seeing so many terrific poets. Um, so it's great to be able to have it online this year and well done to everyone that's been involved in, you know, bringing poetry to us again, because I, I missed um, not being able to go to Alderborough and having it here on my computer is wonderful. So thank you to everyone involved. Um, I'm going to be reading uh, from a book that's about a very particular time and a very particular place. Um, you know, the theme of this is place and memory. And this is all to do with a book that came out in the summer. Return by Minor Road. It came out in the first lockdown and it revisits my time living in Scotland. I moved to Scotland when I was aged 18 to go to university and I lived up there until I was 30. So very formative years and very happy times and we've got lots of friends up there and we go back regularly. But in 1996 we were living in a small commuter town called Dunblane when a gunman entered the local primary school and um, shot and killed 16 children and a teacher and injured many, many more. It's the deadliest mass shooting that we've had in Britain. I had friends and colleagues whose children were shot. And when I was at university, I worked as a cleaner and I'd cleaned a couple of the children's bedrooms, although I'd never met them. And it really struck me what Alan said about then and there and here and now and how these things that we carry with us, we carry through time. And as well as that event, which this book centers on, it also focuses on the landscape there, the beauty of the natural landscape, which I love so much and how I carry that with me too. And several people have said it's absolutely bucketing down today um, as it is here. And we lived in central region, which is one of the wettest parts of Scotland but it's why it was so beautiful. We used to go out on the motorbike and see all the greenery and the trossachs. So I carry that beautiful landscape with me as well. So I'm going to start with quite an apt poem, which is The Rain in the Night. The Rain in the Night. The past is falling on the house. Lightly, insistently, with its own unnameable scent. I can't tell when the first mist of it began to drift down, lifting itself gently down. It wasn't there and then it was, all around the house, moving across the roof with a patterning I couldn't recognise. In a way, there wasn't much of it, but such slivers bear down over time. The roof gradually succumbs to a fresh deepening colour. The night insects bed down out of the spattering. The wisteria darkens, drops petals. 
Even a light scattering leaves its mark in the morning, even if the surface dries. The soft past of rain has shaken itself on the house, the house defenceless against its lightness. Hair. What if the dangerous thing actually happens and you're elsewhere looking away at a hair on the grass in the grounds of the offices? You're twirling the phone cord and listening, bored, to an advisor advise you on what's wrong with the mortgage application that shouldn't be wrong because you should know that the homeowner three is the wrong form for the wrong customer and he's tired of doing your job for you. And the hair is as still as an eye. And the hair begins to flicker like a screen running out of power. And the hair against the grass becomes flat as a moment like any terror you can fall through into the past. From From the hallway you can see into every corner of our small flat. From the kitchen window, the rose garden, the golf course, the Trossachs. From the bath, you can see Glen Rhodes, sky and sky framed. From tomorrow, all this will be different. Scottish Spring. Here, now, it's cold, and snowdrops have not yet seeded to daffodils. Elsewhere, it's warming, dimmer. Already the snowdrops are dropping. Now is the time when the world is blown open. Monochrome. The last time I saw you, really saw you, was in the office that day when the announcement started to come, but no one understood yet what had happened. You stood up, sharply pushed back your chair so it straggled across the passageway. Your tidy desk lay exposed to dust that would build between stacked papers. As you walked away, you were pale, your face open. I saw you again at the funeral, but couldn't see you really, couldn't see anything. Not because of the tears, but the blankness my eyes and brain held. And my heart 
It's true that the heart halts as it hurts on. I read you in the papers, friend. I see you and I read you. And I wish to hold your monochrome hand as it rests across that small child's head. Cold Spring. A day like habit, unbroken. Our house on the hill, the pheasant, the Siamese, the ducks, breeze blocks painted over, the cupboard from hell, coat rack, junk store, circular window. Ice stumbling from inside the window panes. The path lock still. Watching the birds above, the clouds, the wind, all. The bridge, the river. Flexi time, clock in, mugs, cups, coffee run, coats, steaming, Eyes, nose, streaming, folders out, earphones on, files, notes, pen, switch, screen. Welcome, detail. Manager says, incident. No one moment with another, frozen, unaware, a falling. Order unfurled of meaning, shut down, shared out, astray, happening to, unexpected, unprepared, nothing to prevent. Those moments when the children you know, you think are still. There is none, there is none. A hair's breadth. A single hair on there. No. Incoherent bystander. Midday home, whole country calling, black words strung between mobile masts. The name of our place, repeated until you want to jolt awake, you want all falls through, against, around, beyond, all falls broken. There is a crying that is bone. Calls. You're there, the voice says then halts. What else to say? Yes, we're here. I nod. I carry on nodding at the white plastic handset, the slab of the base, the cord twisting away through the wires to everywhere else. What else to say? We're here where the news is, where the day won't stop where the phone keeps ringing late into the evening. Each time the same redundant speech, 
the same necessary reaching. We couldn't get through. I cup the earpiece against my skull, the mouthpiece against my cheek. It warms with contact. I know, I say eventually, and it means all it means. Demayat. Some days we cried ourselves out, packed our coats and climbed the soggy rock to its small summit. There was something about stepping one by one beside each other, without speaking, without the need. At the summit, we kept numb vigil for what we couldn't say. We descended in mist, our blurry outlines mottling together. On spring days now, when cold tips the hills, I can still see its cairn and trig point, that chopped obelisk at its peak. Distant sheepfolds, memorials of snow. Balquida. After the bumpy, miles-long track, we stored ourselves in a far cottage beyond water. Small dogs visited us and scurried something solemn out the door with them. Thin place where heaven and the afterlife lie close to the surface of the day. I bathed and slept and cried. You walked. We were colder than we'd ever been, despite the fire. Even when I watched smoke chugging slowly from our own chimney that day, I couldn't connect. Were we smoke? Were we cold? Were we left? place. When we left, we left it all. The hazel, the spruce, the Scots pine, the aspen. When we left, we took it all. The skyscrapes and treescapes framing each season. When we left, we left it all. The bracken, the cabins, the pathways of water. When we left, we took it all. The hollows, chill soil, ice, air and snowfall. When we left, we left it all. Angular boulders with ashy thin grasses. When we left, we took it all. Scent of just rained on, expanding the stonework. When we left, we left it all. Pine martens, red deer, herons and osprey. When we left, we took it all. Broadening rain clouds, blending with hillsides. When we left, we left it all. Short-lived, supple islands of shingle. 
when we left, we took it all. The bend in the loch, we can't see beyond. Thank you for listening. As I take a deep breath here, Heidi, thank you. Um, it's difficult, I think, to even speak after that reading and then also the readings before. There's a lot that's come through the chat. Um, it seems to me that this place in memory has worked through landscape and um, over time. And it's interesting how all of them have been dealing in some way, whether directly or obliquely, with the kinds of traumas that, that happen in the world, whether natural or otherwise. Really amazing group of readings. Um, time is among us, upon us. Well, it's among us as well. Um, so I, I do need to uh, sort of wrap up here to allow people to take some breath and come to the next one. <laughs> um, I want to say thank you to everyone, um, to our four readers, Lucia Dove, Alan Buckley, Jennifer Edgecombe and Heidi Williamson. And direct you please to their biographies on the Albra pages. Um, and also to uh, direct you to please to buy their books from especially uh, the presses themselves and also independent bookshops, because of course we don't have the Albra bookstore here with us now. Um, and I wanna suggest just in case, um, you haven't done already, um, we are not supported by uh, any out external funding. It's entirely uh, through donations and through volunteers. So we're hoping that people can contribute through our pay link, PayPal link on the Albra pages. Um, we're suggesting five pounds per event, 10 pounds per day or 25 pounds for the whole weekend. Really that translates to whatever you think you can afford. We're really looking forward to putting on a wonderful full scale thing, some form or another next year. So thank you very much indeed, all four readers for a really remarkable time, transformative in all sorts of ways and moving across the board. So thank you. <laughs>